Welcome back to the Panel Scanners, everybody. Episode 145. So Phil, uh, a while back, came up with a really cool idea um, about the worst possible... Or was that Matt came up with the worst possible costumes, the alternate? One of you guys one of you guys had a really good idea. Phil. It was, was me. Awful. Yeah. And then uh, obviously... Windows. Yeah, and obviously the, the outgrowth of that would have been, as Phil suggested, we do the favorite alternate costumes, which I thought was really, really fun. I had a really good time talking about some of those old costumes, especially uh, those Marvel in the 90s was like, Oof. You know, if you thought we were going to have a problem finding them, you just said Marvel 90s costumes, and you're like, well, I now now I've got a problem because I don't know which way to go. Tom's abs and boob windows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was very windows. accurate, Phil. You, you did a – you pretty much encapsulated exactly what uh, costume design was for comics in the 90s across the board. Um, so, you know, it's funny – I was thinking about this a little bit. I'm like NHL third jerseys, a special occasion jerseys, like a Christmas day game in the NBA or pro hoops, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th variations. Or is it like a few tweaks to a classic look like the Cleveland Indians or a complete abomination to the senses like the Cleveland Browns from 2015 to 2020, which have got to be the Marvel comic store, Daredevil, Captain America of NFL uniforms. That's where we are. So, like, we have an identification. Uh, I think there's an emotional attachment to a lot of these costumes. And when you're talking about someone like Superman and Spider-Man and Batman, I think Batman's a little bit more malleable. But Spider-Man and Superman, not so much. You you make even the slightest switch, you know, the fan base kind of raises their eyebrow a bit. Like, what are you doing, man? Why are you messing with this? Just leave it alone, okay? Um so we thought it would be fun, based on the idea Phil had, to come up with our favorite alternate versions of costumes to some of our favorite heroes. And in this particular case, I'm going straight with what this is. I don't have any weird variations. These are alternate costumes to three of my favorite characters, two of whom are very, very similar. Um, and what we're going to do is we normally do. We're going to give our two honorable mentions. We're going to go through those, and then we're going to cycle back to our top pick, and I'll go ahead and I'll kick things off here. Um, my first honorable mention is Nightwing in 1995, and this is the version that seems to, uh, these days, is the most prominent. It's the black suit with the blue uh, winged sort of stripe that goes down, sometimes to his wrist, sometimes it goes all the way through his two uh, middle fingers. Uh, and now Nightwing, of course, is Dick Grayson, who is the former Robin, uh, the original Robin, so obviously this is someone who's had multiple costume variations, but when he became Nightwing, if you go back to his original, it's like this powder blue yellow with this massive disco collar that was behind his head. And it's one of those things like you get why some of these characters have the skin tight costumes. They're kind of like ninjas, Batman, Daredevil. But then you get like something like that giant collar that comes up behind their head and like this dude has no peripheral vision at all. If he turns his head, he can't see a thing. You start wondering, like, why is that? So then that costume changed a bunch of the times. They got rid of the collar. Oh, and it also had, like, the 1970s. Uh, it was it was unbuttoned down to his, like, belly button, too. So he had, like, the, the glistening chest here. Like, it was a very awkward way to go. See, so this dude went from no pants to, like, you know, your, your typical 70s disco dude. <laughs> um so that was to me night but so nightwing in 1995 when he comes up he, he it's the first time he gets his own book it was one of my favorite comic series 
he finally looks formidable. He finally looks like someone who is a force to be reckoned with in the DCU, and that's the costume that I think has been the most popular since then. Now, my number, my second honorable mention, Phil, is one I bet you can guess. Scarlet Spider. Bingo. Um, and there's a re. I almost wanted this to be my number one, but but when I get to my number one, which I don't think will also be very difficult to figure out, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. I think you'll understand my justification. Now, here in this one, I'm willing to say right now, without any qualification. The best costume in comics is probably Spider-Man. All right? The original Spider-Man costume. I mean, they got that right the first time. Right out, right out of the chute, that costume has not changed in its classic form since the, the second he was on, the first panel he was on the page. You know, Superman is still recognizable as Superman. But if you go back... You know, Superman looks way different. Batman looks way different. But you go back to that amazing fantasy, that first amazing fantasy, and he looks the same because they just, I mean, Steve Ditko nailed it from the start, and there was no reason to change that thing. So to me, the best costume in comics is the classic original Spider-Man costume. However... Now, tell me if I'm right about this. This is Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley, Web of Spider-Man number 118 from November 1994. Now, it's, I'm kind of, the fan, base, the fan base seems sort of split on this, okay? Um, there, it's sort of, there, so you either love this thing or you think it's an abomination. Um, but it's truly one of my favorites with no hesitation, and this is the one with the, the sort of tattered hoodie, the blue hoodie, the, the all-red costume. Um, and it just... Spider-Man looks dangerous. He looks like he's sort of... He's, he's hobbled this thing together. Um, he doesn't quite know what he's doing. And you might want to stay out of his way. That's kind of how I've always processed this. And uh, when, we, when I was playing that Spider-Man game... I, my default was always the original costume, but man, oh man, I sure did go back to that Ben Riley costume um, a bunch of different times. I just think it's got there's I, it's hard for me to describe. It's like the painted on spider, like it looks like it was spray painted on, um, and it's not even it's not even you know symmetrical. It's just off a little bit, and it's just there's just something about that that makes it look really edgy, really cool, and. I don't know. It's just that's one of those costumes. It's just I, I left off the page. I knew the fan base would be split, but I am all on top of the Scarlet Spider. Um, welcome back, Gary. We are on our honorable mentions for alternate costume. Take it away. Uh, well, I have uh, I went, went a little old school on one of them. Uh, my number three or second runner up was uh, Daredevil, going from the uh, Original yellow and black to his uh, current red rendition. Um, it, I think it allowed the artist to uh, play in the shadows a little bit more. And the yellow was really more of a broad daylight kind of uh, a feel to it. This put him more in the, uh, the night realm. Uh, my second, or my, I guess, number two, um, 
the Azbat from uh, Batman number 500. Jean-Paul Valley going from the traditional Batman costume to the armored, clad, gauntlet, sharp, pointy things version. So those are my uh, two honorable mentions. Uh, Daredevil to uh, his classic red and Jean-Paul Valley as the Azbat with Batman's uh, weapon upgrade. You like the Asbats thing, huh? That's interesting. I do. I I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I don't have as much of a an attachment to Batman as like as you do. Obviously, I just really like the look. It, it kind of makes sense. Um, I mean, you you it, it's he's starting to look almost sort of robotic in a way. Yeah. Um. So wow, I, I get, I get where you you're go. coming from on that. Uh, I I will admit I initially I thought that thing was cool and I just don't think the story supported it. It's cool. It it, it didn't seem to support what it was. But I, I, I get it. I get it. Got a little a little out of hand further down, but that initial version. Yeah, that thing. I liked it. You know what? And tell me if you think I'm right about this, Gary. It kind of went from its original design sensibilities were sort of 1984 Transformers, and it eventually morphed into Michael Bay Transformers. You know, we started putting like the shuriken machine gun in the oh, flamethrower. Yeah, that he, got a he lot had those those spires coming out of his back and yeah. No, and, I'm talking about just the, the yeah, initial. The, the first one, it, it, it I will say the first time you see that, it's kind of arresting to some degree. Yeah. So uh, Matt, how you doing over there? Everything good? Nope. Having some technical difficulties, guys. I'm gonna bow out for just a second. All right. So Phil, we're gonna skip over Matt. We're gonna go to you. Uh, what do you got? Your alternate costumes, favorite alternate costumes, your two honorable mentions, my friend. So my first honorable mention is when Clint Barton Hawkeye took on the helm of Ronin in Blue Avengers number 27. Ooh, nice you guys familiar one. with that costume at all? No, I'm not. It's, uh, I, I can't drop an image to you guys. Don't worry know. about it. Don't do that. So it's a we black and green cuffs, got nunchucks. Um, it was like a violent take on him as a hero to kind of do the things that he couldn't really accomplish as Hawkeye. Other people took on the helm as well, but specifically uh, when Clint Barton switched out his purple duds for the Ronin outfit. My first honorable mention. My second honorable mention is the Dark Phoenix costume replacing Jean Grey's initial Miss... Uh, Sorry, Marvel Girl outfit uh, with the phoenix on her chest, the red and gold. Just something about that costume. I actually like it more than her default original costume. And it brings back really, really, really strong memories of really falling in love with the X-Men overall. So my honorable mentions are Roman and Dark Phoenix. We might have a live... Matt again, so let's see. Working on it. Yeah, we see, we see, we hear you. <laughs> Smiling face. All right. Ah, uh, there we are. Finally. Sorry, my mouse pad was going uh, berserker on me here. So that's fine. Mine were uh, Hawkeye as Ronin and Jean Grey Dark Phoenix. Now those are mine. Actually, I chose those two. That's upsetting. No. My honorable mentions were Spider-Man 2099, so I'm kind of uh, cheating a little bit here on this one, but the one that I'm looking at is Miguel O'Hara. Uh, this one kind of looked like a, a luchador mask, kind of had like a very um, nod to his heritage as a uh, 
as a person who's both Mexican and of Irish descent as well. So at any rate, so that was going to be one of my honorable mentions. And then the other one was the Uncanny X-Force era Deadpool. So he's going to be, uh, kind of has that white and black color scheme. This one was released in 2010, and this costume, like I said, followed the white and black color scheme that was consistent with the rest of X-Force. The Spider-Man 2099 was the one that came out in 2017, not the one back in the 90s. So those are going to be my honorable mentions. Man, I'll tell you what, it was it's really fun to do this, especially after last time around we were kind of wading through the muck, and now, like I just looked up the running costumes, very ninja-like, I like that. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that this is just cool stuff. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's these are the ones you kind of envision yourself in, uh, you know. And, and and sometimes when the redesigns work, they work really, really well, and it kind of reinvigorates you. It gets you more excited to see what's possible. All right, Phil, what do you think mine is? Ooh, um, I, I missed your first one. What, what were your? Okay, so yeah, we've been having some a, a series of technical difficulties. That is a kids in the hall reference um, <laughs> this evening. So my honorable mentions were Nightwing in 1995 and the Scarlet Spider. Oh, well, okay. Well, okay, I know what it is then. Go ahead, tell me. What is it? Is Phil, Phil not going to try? No, I don't know. I really don't know. Robin. Yep, you got it. Um, Robin's 1990 redesign, first appearance, Batman number 457, December 1990. This was designed by Neil Adams, um, and he gave it over to Norm Brayfogle, one of my favorite artists who sadly passed away a few years ago after a, brief, a long illness, actually. Um, and the reason he makes it over the Scarlet Spider is exactly what I said during my justification for the Scarlet Spider, is Spider-Man has the best costume in comics. There was no need to redesign it, but you provided a variation. I love Robin's design. I grew up on Robin's original design. I know it's a it's sort of a target for fo it's, it's fodder for uh, for humor, but it's a classic design. And let's keep keep in mind by this point, it's 45, 50 years old. It was outdated for sure. Um, you had to redesign this costume, and the problem is any redesigns you, you're thinking they never go well. They almost never go well, but the moment he appears with the with the green tights, the two-toned cape with yellow on the outside, black on the inside, and now he's carrying the bow staff. And this is Tim Drake. So this is, you know, Dick Grayson had left to become Nightwing. And um, Jason Todd had been murdered by the Joker. And so Batman was not going to have a Robin. That was it. He was done with Robins. You know, he couldn't protect Dick Grayson. And he feared that Dick Grayson was going to go and get himself killed. And he tried to steer Dick Grayson into a more normal life and says, listen, you just go have a normal life. Don't do this anymore. I should never have done this to you. And Dick Grayson, I have the issue where he says, you can't stop me now. So Batman's like, then you have to leave. You are gone. I cannot be the person responsible for, you know. And then that created the tension for those years in the comics. They had tension. And then he takes on Jason Todd out of, you know, out of pity, out of concern, because he felt he needed a Robin. Of course, he gets killed. So Tim Drake has a sort of pro, a protracted development as Robin, and he's the one who decides I can't put that costume on. So Batman and Alfred, and he had a an engineer that was working for him. I can't remember who it was, but they designed the costume, and he shows up, and you're like, oh my gosh, this looks fantastic. I mean, instantly recognizable as Robin. 
right? He had the R, the big R, the mask. Everything else looked exactly like Robin, but now he looked tough. He looked like someone that once he jumps in the middle of the fight, um, he's coming out of that thing unscathed. He looked like one of the upper echelon fighters, physical hand-to-hand combatants in the DC universe. And you're like, yes, that is someone who was trained by Batman. Uh, I, I just think it makes my number one spot because it was an absolute necessity at the time to redesign that costume. And I don't think you could have done it any better. I think he looked like less of a target. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, guys, I'm over here. Batman's in the shadows. I'm over here. Gary? Um, Well, my number one. um, Tossing this around, I actually kind of ran across this by, by mistake, or accident, rather. And it was one of those things. It was like, dear God. Thank, thank you. Thank God they redesigned this character. Um, I am talking about Lobo. I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, Omega Men era Lobo. Uh, he still has the, you know, white skin, uh, you know, kind of the black afro of sorts. But he is wearing a purple jumpsuit. With oh, a yeah. of orange cutting across the middle of the chest. Yeah. This... It is atrocious um i don't know how many issues but it was a couple issues after that debut probably like four or five that they changed him now i know i know he's had a couple different versions along the way one of them was sort of like pirate themed one of them was uh like a robe or something but or like part of his whatever his his role or title was but you know you think of his classic look as more of a biker you know, he's got the, the, the sleeveless, the muscles bulging out, you know, the chains and the hooks. You know, to get to that from where he started, I, I cannot think of a wider gap between what was and what is than that example right there. Um, there was no way you could take him seriously as, you know, this anti-hero bounty hunter dressed like that. It was it was it was impossible. So I think that was the the greatest costume change that I've run across anyway was Lobo from current version from purple and orange jumpsuit. Yeah, it's not even the same character at that some point, right? Well, I mean, they still refer to him as Lobo. I mean, that, that's the, well, I'm speaking. I mean, yes, there, there yeah. was a large period of time from you know where he was in that series to when he was reintroduced, but it is still considered the same character. Man, he he looks like. A kiss villain. Yes. Yes. No, like I said, I stumbled across that and went, dear God, that's it. What you know, from there, what there was, there was what year was that from? Um original one was in the early eighties. Right? Yeah, I know, but yeah. what the Omega the, the one Gary's referring to. Omega, Omega, Omega. It's like a I think a cover. That's like the one I don't have a date written down for, unfortunately. Uh nineteen eighty three. Thank you. Because they went back to that after the new 52 for whatever reason. And it's just like, do you remember this? This well, is a lot. They redesigned them to it, like more slender. Yeah, it was back. I think it was during the new 52. Cause our old fo- co-host Johnny dropped that out. I was in the middle of an episode. You're like, Hey, who is this? You guys are like, I don't know that's Lobo. And we're like, what? It was, it, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It's like, what, why would you go back to that? Well, I don't know. 
By the way, the Lobo in his classic form in, ba in Superman the Animated Series, one of the great all-time animated episodes ever when he shows up in the middle of Metropolis. <laughs> oh, great. Matt, what do you got? Oh, my number one uh, is going to be uh, Iron Spider, created by Tony Stark. And this is the outfit that we're pretty much familiar with when we see him in Infinity Wars. Uh, originally published in 2006 in The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, issue number 529. Uh, it can fly with this mesh wings. It can identify heat signatures of humans, even through car roots. It's both bulletproof and heat resistance with its use of Kevlar. And it has the uh, now famous additional limbs that come out of the back of the suit to give them eight limbs total, thus making him a very, very perfectly labeled Spider-Man. Which is interesting because that was one of my least favorites. I when remember we did this. <laughs> that's why I smirked when you said it. Matt knows well, exactly what he's doing. And, and I know that Darren is, uh, loves Kylo Ren, too, so I always list him as my favorite oh, Star Wars villain. So. Yeah. So I can make sure I... I Keep that wound open. See, Matt gets it, doesn't he? Doesn't he just <laughs> get it? <laughs> he really does. So, question about that. Um, so, Matt, it's the Iron Spider. Does it appear first in the comics, and they adapted it for the Avengers, or yeah. is it the reverse? It appeared in 2006, from what I understand. So oh, yeah, you did say it. I mean, the, I was... Yeah, prior to it originally appeared during Civil War. When uh, that's what threw me off. Okay. When Peter Parker joined with uh, Tony Stark's side. Yep, 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 yep. I know that because I did a lot of research on Spider-Man for mine. So, uh, well, Phil, what do you got? Yeah, as Darren said, uh, Spider-Man's original costume is kind of perfect. It just kind of is. It fits. So, the problem is his alternate costumes are also kind of perfect. And I went through a giant list. I bounced around with the Scarlet Spider costume, uh, Darren. I thought about Iron Spider. I thought about that Future Foundation outfit, the white and black one. That's like, yeah, very good. Um, but I did settle, obviously, on a Spider-Man costume, which his first appearance was in Secret Wars number eight, the symbiote Spider-Man outfit. Uh, black suit Spider-Man for those that um, are well aware. If anything, this is, if you try to picture Spider-Man and you're like, oh man, you know, the red outfit. Go No, the other one. Oh, the black outfit. It's so well known and it's not his actual costume. It's an alternate. Matter of fact, there have been more issues in which other people have worn this costume more than Peter Parker. However... When I think of alternate costumes and things that I love, I remember being deeply into the symbiote Spider-Man idea when it first arrived. Not first arrived, but I first arrived to it because if I was reading comics when it first arrived, it would be impressive. Um, and I remember just the, the slight change in the personality of the main character and everything. So there's alternate feeling to the character that went with the costume. So it seemed to fit the bill best and like spider-man wouldn't end up on my list come on come on matter of fact spider-man is the reason that these lists came up in the first place because that new costume that i complained about uh, in the comic that lasts for three issues <laughs> oh his social media costume or whatever yeah you know it's yeah. funny about the spider-man game that came out a few years ago you could like i kind of enjoyed scrolling through all the alternate costumes i'm, I'm like oh, that's cool that's cool that's pretty cool yeah that one's not so great that one's cool 
punk rock Spider-Man's hilarious. Um, I like, and then you got the, they, I know they eventually gave you the Tobey Maguire. I'm like, that looks cool. This one from the, the MCU looks cool. And I like, it's just like, yeah, you, it's like you can, because that costume is so great when you, the foundation of it is so solid, you're kind of able to branch out in a whole bunch of different things. Um, and there's so much, like even the negative Spider-Man thing was cool. Yeah. Darren to feed off of that Spider-Man game, the Miles Morales one that came out. Um, they had the Spider-Verse costume for Miles and there was a, a attachment you could make that would make the world and your character have that like choppy animation like the movie. Are you serious? Unbelievable. Yeah. Man, that that's awesome. That yeah. that that is that is some next level stuff there for a video game. I got to get back into that game some point. I just and you guys know what I do for a living. Like at this point, I the last thing I want to do is pick up a video game controller. So um, I don't know that that this is this is good stuff, man. I sometimes I we come up with these things just because we get into it, right? And you're like, you know, this Robin costume needs to get a little bit more attention. This is pretty great, and Robin's so underrated as it is. But then I lo- I love hearing about like you know Matt and I disagreeing on the Iron Spider. What ends up on my worst ends up as his top favorite. Um, part of me just believes he did that. He goes, I don't know what I'm going to pick. So what did Darren not like? Okay, let's just go with that. Pure spite. Uh, pure. <laughs> I don't know what I've done to inspire such I mean, hatred. I'm the Flanders to your Homer at this point. Uh, Darren, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> the uh, symbiote Spider-Man actually made my top five. Yeah, I figured. I, you know, since Mine's, he's Venom now, it was out there, and I. Figured you might talk about it. So well, there are alternate Venom costumes too. That's a whole thing. Literally, we did. Yeah, Venom. yeah, yeah. At some point, you gotta. Darren, you Matter killed fact, the zo- Darren, you killed the zombie Larson. He was a zombie. <laughs> we might circle back to this as actual top ten list as least and most favorite uh, alternate costumes because there are so many. There's plenty to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I. That's probably we, we cycle back to this at some point, bringing some more voices. It's fun to talk about. You know what else is fun to talk about, Phil? Yeah, the comics that we are reading right now in our oldest, one of our oldest segments, Stick, Stuck, Pick, Sayonara. Real quick, comics that we are sticking with are good enough. We are reading them. They're there. Stuck are really good, and we are excited to get them every month. Pick is our favorite from our current stack. Sayonara are books that we are no longer reading due to cancellations us getting tired of it or other various reasons. And I would like to predict that I'm going to get it right this time because everyone else is experiencing technical difficulties. I am not. So I should be fine. Right. Okay, so I'll start because I always have the deepest list. Uh, stick, we'll just go through titles really quick. I am sticking with a large stack of X-Men comics, X-Force, Children of the Atom, Hellions, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, Sword, Cable, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man. That is the stack of things that I am sticking with. Darren. I am sticking with Radiant Black. It's by Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa from Image. Just getting started. Uh, I'm sticking with Proctor Valley Road from Grant Morrison, Boom Studios. Sticking with Star Wars, it's starting to run out of steam. Sticking with High Republic, uh, because it's it's pretty good so far. 
Sticking with Birthright, this is from Image. It is just about to close. And that's my pile of sticks. Gary, on to you. Uh, my stick list is getting shorter. Uh, I'm going to stay with uh, Knights of the Golden Sun by Mad Cave Studios. Uh, Sonya Versal by Dynamite. Firefly, a brand new verse by Boom Studios. Magic the Gathering by IDW. And Sonic the Hedgehog, also by IDW. And that is my stick list. Matt. As people know, in some other episodes, I've talked about the uh, War of the Bounty Hunters. So I'm going to be sticking with that one here. It's a bit of a homework assignment uh, because there's about five or six issues coming out every single month uh, as they do a crossover event. So you've got War of the Bounty Hunters, Star Wars, Dr. Afra, Darth Vader. All of these are part of the same kind of oh. concept that's going on right now. So I'm sticking with it. It's going to take some time and energy on my part to get caught back up, but I'm going to stick with it, guys. Okay, moving on to things that we're stuck on. Again, incredibly long list, so I won't go incredibly long here. Uh, stuck on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the IPW run that has been fantastic. Can't say enough good things. Uh, check it out, seriously. Uh, the adjectless X-Men, uh, that Jonathan Hickman book, that is so, so interesting. Uh, Gary, you're probably in on this with me, Monstrous, uh, which is just this beautiful, beautiful, fancy book that is not for children. Amazing Spider-Man, we are in a new arc coming out of, uh, man, I don't even know which arc, there have been so many, it's just nonstop, and I'm starting to feel like there is a issue of Spider-Man every single week, so it just piles up, but it's been good reading, uh, Nick Spencer's doing a fantastic job. No surprise that I am stuck on Daredevil still. Chip Zdarsky is keeping Daredevil in prison for the moment uh, after him allowing himself to be arrested for killing somebody. Electra is still running around outside as a Daredevil. Stuck on the scumbag. Uh, the, the title says it all. The guy's a piece of crap, but it is entertaining nonetheless. Weirdly stuck on Wolverine. Uh, the handling of Logan in this new X world is very cool. Stuck on Way of X, the new Simon Spurrier X-Men book. No surprise here. He's brought Legion back into the mix. And no one in the history of X-Men, in my opinion, has written Legion as entertainingly as Simon Spurrier. So I'm super happy to see it back. And the lead hero of that book is Nightcrawler, who is one of my favorite X-Men. Um, I'm stuck on X Corp. It's an interesting look at the corporation side of this new X world in which they are selling the things that they are creating and figuring out how to balance the world. There's only been one issue. I really like the first issue. The second, I think, comes out uh, very soon. Stuck on X Factor, the CSI group of X-Men. They are currently growing uh, the dead bodies of old X-Men that have died. There's this whole thing where they can resurrect them, so they're kind of doing experiments with them. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Spider-Man Spider's Shadow is the first of a collection of what-if stories. So they've relaunched the what-if title, but they're doing miniseries instead under it. Uh, the first one is uh, basically if Spider-Man keeps the symbiote. It's been cool. Uh, Black Cat, uh, that Jen McKay book, that has been surprisingly good from start. Firepower, I know Darren is also reading this, or was at least. Um, it, it, I enjoy Kirkman's writing. 
uh, nonstop Spider-Man, although it did come to a little bit of a halt. I do have a new issue in my hand finally, so I'm really excited to read that. Stuck on Venom, uh, Donnie Cates has one more issue, and then that's it. Same with Seven to Eternity. There's one more issue that has been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed uh, to wrap up that whole story. Uh, Rick Remender. Uh, Oblivion Song, another uh, interesting sci-fi book, as well as Sea of Stars, which is Jason Aaron. Uh, I feel like it's coming to an end. I don't know if you're still reading that one as well, Derek. I know you were for a little while. Um, it, it should be getting pretty close to its conclusion. Whew, that's all the books I'm stuck on, quite a bit. I just realized that uh, when I wrote this out, I never actually made a pick out of my stuck list. Well, you better figure that out. You got yeah, one. No, I'm, uh, I think I'm going to have to roll a die on this one because I'm thoroughly enjoying all of these. Um, all right, my stuck list is going to be my Transformers Ongoing, which is currently as War World. That's an IDW title. Um, Deep Beyond by Image Comics. Uh, that one has just had a large uh, reveal in it, so I'm looking forward to that next issue. Um, I feel like Scumbag could be my pick, but I'm going to put it here with my stuck. Uh, still a great read. And again, that one leads into uh, you know a, a new um, door has opened for the next issue. Uh, so... And again, this one could also be my pick very easily. Monstrous Image Comics. Um, I don't want to go recency bias on this one, but I've been reading the, uh, the trade paperbacks, and things are making more sense now that I'm filling, you know, backfilling. And um, real quick, how far are you in? I I just finished the first trade, which okay. I don't know how far that is. Not far enough. And I'm going to put Canto uh, City of Giants by IDW on my stuck list. Um, the, the issues, I, I love him as a character, but it just feels like four pages in and the story's over. Like there, it, it either goes too quick or there just needs to be more of it. So that'll be my stuck. All right, let's juke back to Darren. I am stuck on IDW Star Trek gear five. It's up to issue 19. It was only supposed to go 12, but I guess they figured they had a lot more to tell and it's been really, really good. It's kind of my surprise uh, of the of the of the last couple of years. It's been so good, Matt. You're gonna like this. I am stuck on Maniac of New York. You suggested this to me, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a, definitely an allegory to what we've been experiencing over the past couple of years. But it is a wicked allegory for sure. Uh, nominated for a Eisner Award, Strange Adventures. I am stuck on that. Uh, and in, in, in our Instagram, I've been posting a lot about. Um, DC's Black Label's Batman White Knight universe, uh, that it is greater than the Snyderverse, and man, oh man, Harley Quinn wrapped up its run. Uh, so, or it's getting ready to wrap up its run, or it did wrap up its run, one of the two, I don't remember, it's been like a month, but it's been just so fantastic. Gary, I, I think you're reading this one as well. I am stuck on Mad Cave's Nottingham as well, and that thing so far I have enjoyed greatly. Matt? Excellent. Uh, so my list, uh, oops, where are we? We are stuck. I'm stuck on Invincible, so Phil recommended that a while back, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, originally, I just did it just to get into the, uh, to be able to watch the show and feel like I knew what was going on, but then I ended up actually really, really enjoying the characters. I liked how it's kind of different from the TV show, so I'm sticking with that one. 
uh, or rather, I'm also stuck on that Canto series that Gary recommended. So you guys are heavily influenced on me and you have a lot of peer pressure. So we finished the first one. Um, and then now I believe I'm on the Clockwork Fairies is the one I'm taking a look at right now. I'm um, also stuck on Doom Patrol. I was telling you guys about it a while back. I really enjoyed that. This comicsology has been really been uh, pretty life changing for me in terms of being able to read some of the stuff that I'd missed out on a long time ago. And that would be when the series, the 87 to 95 series that I've been working oh, on here. That's so good. Good. Awesome. All right. Moving on to the big guy. Hey, the one that makes us super, super excited and we would highly recommend to anyone. I am unbelievably happy that this book is back. One of my favorite Rick Remenders, Deadly Class, has returned after a hiatus due to the pandemic or something. Uh, but an interesting thing, it came back and it is now in the 1990s. Uh, this has been a timepiece from the 80s since the start. So the idea that it's starting to take place in the 90s means that we're going to start getting 90s references, uh, 90s music references. And our main character, Marcus, is spiraling terribly. Um, and it's showing his, his dip into overusage of drugs and just kind of crashing. And the fact that him being a killer is uh, just part of him now. And that people are always trying to kill him. The first issue per this new arc, this return of the, in the 1990s, number 45, just recently dropped. Um, I believe 46 would probably be in my stack now, so I need to uh, get caught up. But man, I have I have sung the praises of Deadly Class since I picked it up. I said it was one of my favorite things um, that I've read in the last few years. I highly recommend it to anybody who wants something that's a little bit different, that is more adult and is a strong time piece. Um, like I said, the majority of it takes place in the 80s. We're now in the 90s. Who knows how much longer it's going to go. So my pick is Deadly Class. So happy to say that again. Darren? My pick of the month is no surprise. Once again, from Booms... What's that? Archie versus 90s Thor. Just like last time. Just like last <laughs> time. Uh, it's um, from Boom Studios. Once in future, and I did say I've been reading Kanto as well, and I thought I liked it so much. If if I had if this was last month, Kanto might I did tell Gary Kanto might have actually usurped Once in Future, and then I read Once in Future, <laughs> and there is a there's something in here that sort of changes the game to a degree that I don't know if, how far you are, Matt. I believe you were reading this as well. I don't want to mm -hmm. get anywhere near any spoilers if you're not cut up, but. It, it, it's like I was wondering how much life this thing had left in it. Part of me was hoping, like, I hope it's got a long life, but not too long of a life. And some of the things they've begun introducing, they're, they're hinting at this is things going to be around a while. And it's good. It's really good. I am. I mean, this thing. I. I don't know what can unseat it, but I. I'm so happy it's here, and it's one of the reasons. Like, this is why I often say, this is why I read comics, man. This is why I'm still reading comics, and. I've gotten to a point with Boom Studios. I'm pretty much trying anything they put out. Gary? Commanders in Crisis was left off of my stuck list. Oh. <laughs> it was one, Yeah, no. I uh, put this list together at work, and I didn't have my books in front of me. So I, apparently I forgot that I was collecting it. I used my Instagram. That's my secret. Use the Instagram. 
But um, this has been on my stick list, or that had been on my stick list for a while, but I keep picking it up. So and it's gotten pretty good. I mean, I've gotten past character introductions and, you know, now they're into actual story. Anyway, uh, subject at hand, my pick is a title called Noctera by Image Comics. Um, this is the story that I'm, I'm reading right now that I, you know, as you said, this is the one you're thinking about when you're not actually reading. Um, you've made comments before about uh, Superman being very dependent on his villain. Well, this one has a villain that's being introduced that I am very, very interested in. You know, this is a guy that, like, nobody wants to talk about out loud. You know, because if he catches wind that you've mentioned him, you know, bad things happen to those people. So, uh, again, Image Comics, Noctera. It's uh, only four issues in, but uh, it's picking up steam, and it's a very original idea. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next issue. Matthew. Excellent. So, uh, I'm going to be a little bit lame here, but I'm not going to be as lame as I was last month when we did this. Uh, I'm not going to pick Once in the Future again. Uh, I have not been able to pick it up recently, uh, but I enjoyed it. And anytime I want to go, anytime I have an opportunity to sit down and do it, uh, you know, I definitely take that. But actually, uh, in this May preview, uh, my next retro review, uh, Preludes and Nocturnes, the early uh, collection of the early Sandman comic. Uh, I picked it up, I started reading it, and like I said, it's been hectic at work. I haven't had an enormous amount of personal time, but man, every time I get an opportunity to sit down, I really can't wait until I get to flip through these pages again. And as I had mentioned before on previous episodes, I'd had the opportunity to read that way back in high school. This was shortly after it had been originally released in 91. So this would have been probably 96, 95 maybe that I initially read this. Um, so it's pretty early on in its run, but I'm excited to just relive that experience again. So I'm going to say that's my pick. Once in Future is my current pick, but if we're talking about being nostalgic, I'm going to have to go with a DC Vertigo style sandwich. Man, that is such. I mean, that, that's legendary. I mean, that that's DC's Vertigo was basically that built on that foundation. Um, yeah. which, which is is pretty impressive. You know, before we get to our sayonaras, I, do you guys have any inkling or anything that's coming that you're looking forward to? Anything that you know you're anticipating? Because I know I, I'm always curious because we we sort of know video games are coming out in advance. Like I'm already looking forward to the open world Star Wars game and Indiana Jones and movies as well. But I actually have a couple of titles, and you, you won't be surprised when you hear what they were, that I've known about that are coming at the end of the summer that I am like, I've, they've started to release some images for the equivalent of trailers, um, and it's sort of satisfying a little bit of my curiosity and explaining some things. Do you guys have anything like that? I've, I've got one that's uh, due to be coming out soon, and I already have it uh, you know, ordered, so when it does come out, they'll, they'll hold it for me. Um, I've talked to our buddy Mark about this. There was a convention-exclusive Transformers issue called uh, Shattered Glass a number of years ago, where basically one of the Autobots' dimension jumped to a place where good was bad and bad was good. Um, well, they're going to be... I don't, I'm assuming it's probably going to be a limited series, but uh, they're going to start doing a... Shattered Glass series Ooh. based off that same concept. So again, I don't know how long it's going to go, but I was actually checking eBay for a copy of the original Shattered Glass, you know, and try to have Mark talk me out of buying it, <laughs> which he couldn't do. So um, in my search for that, 
I ran across the fact that this is coming. So Phil, I'm highly looking forward to that. Um, so other than that, uh, death of Dr. Strange, which I mentioned a little earlier, I'm kind of interested to see what that is. Matt, I know you're looking forward to this and it comes out next month, the adventure zone, the crystal kingdom, uh, which is the fourth, if you can believe it, fourth graphic novel, uh, from the adventure zone podcast, uh, They've been, the comic book retellings have been so enjoyable. Uh, different enough, but still true to the source material. And if you want something that's fun and kind of jokey, but D&D related, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, I think their first, second books that puts them out. Um, but the newest one is The Crystal Kingdom. It's what, Cure They Be Gerblins. Uh, Murder on the Rockport Limited and Pedals to the Metal. Pedals to the Metal. Right. What else of the metal was good? You talk about them adapting it. I know they had to go with here, there, were Gerblins. They had to really change it up because yeah. a lot of the things they were referencing would have been deity properties, and, and they can't really do that. Um, they can be a little bit more true to the podcast, but man, this one, I'm, I'm really waiting for this one to come out because I love the Crystal Kingdom arc that they had, but I'm also really, the 11th hour arc is the one that I'm going to be most excited for because that might be my favorite section of podcasting I've ever listened to. See, the Crystal Kingdom for me was when I was like, I find Pedals of Metal, the end of it, I was like, oh, oh they're super onto something here. And then Crystal Ken was like, well, I'm never going to stop listening to the show. Yep. And then rereading this stuff. So mid next month, this comes out. I'm so, so, yep. so. It's like July 14th or somewhere there around, yeah. right around there. Yeah. So Phil's and, right. That's That would be your pick too, huh? Yeah, right now. Yeah, for lack of anything better to say, for sure. I, it's It's unbelievably fun and if you ever just want to see a group of people just do something for the honest reason of just making other people happy you got to check it out they're just they're really about it so it's matt roy that matt roy family just love <laughs> very gifted yeah well darren how about you oh I was me there. i wanted to make sure no one else was saying anything Jeez. uh so we're ready to move geez. on to the next segment right well sayonara to phil who uh routinely disappoints <laughs> um so some images for batman 89 have been released and this is of course the continuation right. of the tim burton michael keaton batman movies which would have been you know batman forever became sort of take over and just jettisoned at all the work that michael keaton and tim burton were going to do and the artist is um posting images of a, an alternate batman costume which was illustrated from the pre-production designs that they had used for michael keaton's batman costume before they got rid of all of that stuff um so it's that thing's starting to look like it's going to be really really cool and represents just a, a curiosity for me that I it's a it's an itch I need to scratch because we always knew there was a bunch of stuff done for the third Batman movie with Michael Keaton and Tim Burton that they that's just been locked away and no one knows what it's going to be. We don't know if the story is going to follow along what they were doing, but we we do now know in confirmation that some of the pre-production art that they had already built is incorporated in this comic and uh the covers for Superman 78 have been released and it features uh, Christopher Reeves, Superman, holding up one of the crystals from the Fortress of Solitude and in that crystal is Brainiac. So now we know uh, it looks like the villain, one of the villains is going to at least be in Brainiac, which we knew was the original villain for Superman 3 before they went all weird with it. And, Richard, and literally, I don't know if you know this, 
they totally shifted the gear of Superman 3 because Richard Pryor went on The Tonight Show and talked about how much he loved the movies and that he would love to be in a Superman movie. And what Richard Pryor thought they were going to do is just make him like have a brief cameo. And they said, oh, no, we're going to build the whole movie around you. And they got rid of Brainiac and they got rid of all this other stuff. And they got rid of Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor and brought in a stupid other villain. And the only thing that remained was that really nightmarish sequence where one of the villains gets sucked into the computer. Um, which even to this day looks amazing. But that's so now it looks like the hint is that they're going to actually give you what was supposed to be Superman 3. And that's coming at the end of the summer. Cool. I almost don't know if I want to see that. Like, knowing what you could have had all these years? Well, I mean, it's been so long now. I mean, if we, this is what comics are for, right? We're, to, to the fact that we're actually going to get it to some degree. Is to, to me, it's amazing. I, I can't wait. Well, I know you're looking forward to that, but it's time to say goodbye to a few comics. My sayonaras are, I finally say goodbye to Guardians of the Galaxy. I just couldn't get, I couldn't get behind Ali Hume's run on. I, I wanted to. I really did. It was too much pushing the sci-fi aspect, not enough about the Guardians that I love. Um, Jenica 2 finally wrapped. It was a side miniseries of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic that I loved deeply. And then Marvel, which was a um, short story collection spinning out of that Marvel's uh, comic, that Alex Ross comic from nineties. Yeah. Uh they they still have other pieces of this, but the actual flagship Marvel comic is done. It was uh through the perspective of Doctor Strange and Nightmare was torturing him, trying to destroy him. It was cool, uh, but I don't know, for some reason short stories don't do as much for me in comic book form as they do in book form. So I don't know if it would come back around if I would pick it back up. So those are my three sayonars. Hopefully I can add a few more things next time. Because, Darren? Well, sayonara for me. A uh, bit of a mea culpa on my part. I prematurely said sayonara to uh, seven to eternity. But, man, it sure felt like it was over to me. Um, yeah, and then uh, I did finally get around to uh, finishing up Nailbiter. But that's coming back uh, in, in another form. So, But the second version of Nailbiter, sayonara to that. And yeah, uh, sayonara to Harley Quinn in the Batman White Knight universe. That did end. I did uh, check that out. Uh, if you ever get a chance and you, if you want like, a bit of an alternate take on Batman, uh, Sean Murphy's Batman White Knight is exactly what you need. It is, it is so good. The art for it looked really cool. Well, it's Sean Murphy, right? I mean, this guy... He's his style. If you're gonna recommend Sean Murphy, this is a good recommendation. Fill a little test. Don't don't go to Tokyo Ghost right away. You, you might want to wait a little bit before you go down that road. Make sure you're an adult. You are tackling yeah, um, Tokyo Ghost. Exactly, Gary. Well, um, much like in real life, um, I'm very loyal, and I only say goodbye when they leave me. So my sirenars are going to be uh, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade. That is a Marvel production, and that will be ending shortly since that is a limited run. Uh, Nottingham by Mad Cave, also a limited run, will be ending shortly. I think there's two issues left on that one. I think that was a five-parter. And uh, Transformers Escape by IDW 
also a five-parter, will be uh, ending shortly. Uh, that is my sayonara. Well, I'm saying goodbye to something that Darren already brought up, which is Maniac of New York. It was a five-issue run, and the fifth issue just came out. So that's going to be it. That's Aftershock Comics. So that is the last of it. So once I'm done with that, it's done. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and, and on a more recent episode of um, uh, Flophouse, Elliot Kalin has alluded that he's going to be picking up in a different area, like maybe kind of within the same world, but maybe uh, looking at a different character. And then um, recently I had an opportunity to kind of sit down and read for a little bit, and I reread Kingdom Come, which was a short series, uh, like a, a small series from DC. Um, it had some minor superheroes in it, like Batman <laughs> and Superman and Wonder Woman. No, it was a great, you know, a little, uh, I think it ran uh, back in 96, and it was only for, you know, a few uh, comics, but I just had forgotten how good that was. And I, somebody had lent it back to me when I was in high school again. And, I took the opportunity to read it because, again, Comixology is, is the place to go get a whole bunch of old, really old stuff. So that was an awesome thing. But I sat down and read that significantly faster than I expected to. I really did not put it down from start to finish. Phil, that was one of your early retro reviews, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Awesome. Awesome. So two happy sayonaras. These, I'm not, not upset with these. These are bummed out. Happy sayonaras and good sayonaras. Those those brutal ones are uh, always I have a hard. Coffee mug that says that actually that's really strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, the brutal ones are when they get canceled and they're so good. Like I've had so many of those. Like you, Matt, you'll love one I had because you you and I have this, a lot of the same sensibilities, which was called uh, the Mercenary Sea. It takes place during World War II. Um, Sword Quest was uh, the, anyway. We can go on and on. We'll have to do yeah, that some other time crap. because Gary's got something for us here. Oh, there's our soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, actually, your soundbite's coming up. Uh, I'm about to do my uh, my second retro review, and uh, unfortunately, mine is not as big as Phil's. So. Oh, boy. I can't. No. Uh, um, I'm unmuting myself just so you can hear me laughing at that one. <laughs> All right. Where I was trying, trying to think of how else to phrase that. I don't think that's how I originally wanted to say it, but you get all right, I'm going to be uh, retro-reviewing uh, 2015. Nope, that can't be right. 2015? That was older than that. All-Star Section 8. You know what? I have it right here in front of me, so why don't I just look there? Yeah, August 2015. All right, I thought it was older. Um, this is a six-issue miniseries that was written by Garth Ennis. Uh, he's best known for Virgo series Preacher. Uh, a nine-year run on Marvel's Punisher franchise, and more recently, The Boys. Um, the artist, John McRae, who is best known for his collaborations with Garth Ennis, uh, from 1996 to 2001, they worked together on Hitman, uh, including a limited series spinoff from The Boys called Herogasm. Um, All-Star Section 8 is a superhero parody. Um, it, it is the one that Goldilocks would like. If the tick is too soft for you and the boys is too hard, this one's going to be just right. The umbrella under which the events of All-Star Section 8 take place is that Six-Pack, the leader of the team, senses a coming threat and tries to put the band back together in order to face it. Uh, the issue is that most of the original team, which include... Heroes such as the Defenestrator, <laughs> Freaks, 
Jean de Baton Baton, Friendly Fire, Flem Gem, Bueno Excelente, and Dog Welder have all died. Um, after re-enlisting Bueno Excelente, Six Pack holds open interviews and recruits a uh, tick-worthy lineup of, and I use this term loosely, heroes, including Power Tool, uh, Baytor, the demon lord of criminal insanity, uh, Dog Welder 2, the Grappler, and Guts, um, a living pile of intestines in a vaguely humanoid shape. Uh, Six Pack is determined to find an eighth member and decides that adding an A-list member to the team would really legitimize it. The subsequent issues illustrate the team's attempts to lure and recruit Batman, Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman before Martian Manhunter agrees to join, only to be scared off by walking in on Bueno Excelente and Guts Honeymoon in the bar's restroom. <laughs> After a visit from the Phantom Stranger, who takes Six Pack to Limbo to visit a, the former members of Section 8 and to witness an epic rap battle between the Phantom Stranger and Etrigan, shamelessly plugging Enos and McRae's trade paperbacks, Six Pack is taken to the Fortress of Solitude by Superman. Uh, there, the two discuss Six Pack's concerns about his own purpose, his meaning, and even his own existence. Uh, after finding new inspiration, Six Pack returns to rally his team against the coming yet still unnamed threat, only to have his entire team become unavailable through a montage of electrocutions, hangings, and simple abandonment that leaves the highly inebriated Six Pack to face the threat on his own. Now this, uh, again, this was a six issue series and I probably could have read it in the time that it took me to this review. Um, there, there's a lot of panels, not a lot of dialogue. Um, I liken All-Star Section 8 to a small town comedy club where a comedian would go to work out new material before they record their special at Madison Square Garden. You could feel the boys, even though the handcuffs of the DC label are on it. Um, what is shown or graphically explained in the boys is only implied in All-Star Section 8. But make no mistake, you know exactly what's going on. Um, Section 8, of course, is named for the military designation of being mentally unfit for duty. Uh, the team is based in the Cauldron, which is the Irish section of Gotham City. Um, they were originally found in, let's see, it was Hitman number 18 back in September of 97. Um, this was, like I said, if you were a fan of The Tick, this may be a little hard for you. You know, there will be a, a, a number of, oh my, moments, you know, as uh, some of the more graphic uh, situations occur. But if you were a fan of The Boys, you're going to be like, oh, come on. Like, they, they could have done more. Like, you're used to seeing a lot worse than this will show you. Um, Like I said, it was a quick read. Uh, it actually went a lot faster than I thought. And it was, I will say, it was a story. It was <laughs> good. No, it was a good read. But like I said, depending on what you're used to, it's either going to be not enough or too much, you know, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on. 
And as I mentioned, this was a superhero parody. So, and much like, you know, the, the cast of The Tick, you know, a lot of these heroes have ridiculous powers. Um, right? Or sometimes not even powers, just uh, implied abilities. Um, so you said you said this came out in 2015? Yes. So it came out after The Boys. I'm sorry? It came out after The Boys. So do you think maybe it was like the weird transition back into trying to write for one of the big two instead of having the freedom of writing for yourself that affected the overall feel of the book? Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Like I said, these, these were established characters already. And this, this type of goings on, you know, was already occurring back in 97 when they were appearing in Hitman. You know, they were comic relief. You know, they, they did have a, I'll say, a somewhat serious storyline. Um, most of the original Section 8 was killed in a battle with the demonic multi-angled ones, which was sort of a playoff of Grant Morrison's many angled ones in his Zenith series. Um, so, like I said, these characters were already established. And again, with the handcuffs of DC, I, I, I mean, Enos and McRae had to know what their limitations were going to be when they came back to do this. You know, even even having been able to, you know, unleash on the boys, you know, as they do, you know, there, there still had to be a draw for this. How were the mainstream characters portrayed? Because I think a lot of times in like stuff like Suicide Squad and Doom Patrol and these ones that are sort of anti-establishment, they portray your mainstream characters as just big fat jerks who don't understand anything and don't deserve the success they've had, that sort of a thing. Um, are you talking about like the, 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 the section eight characters themselves? No, or... I wouldn't consider them mainstream. I'm like main Superman. You mentioned Superman. You mentioned Batman. Okay. All right. Um, Superman, they actually treated very respectfully. Um, Batman in this series, they actually kind of pinned him into a, uh, you know, racist situation of, you know, he said the phrase you people to an African-American police officer who just wrote him a ticket. And it turned into this whole, like, no, I didn't mean, like, you people, like, you people. It, it was just this, and then they went to this montage of, of poses where, you know, like, I bend over backwards for you people. And it shows him sort of in the, the position of where Bane broke his back. No. All right. And then, like, in the next splash page, he's holding six-pack, much like he was holding the dead Robin. You know, so it's, again, this is parody, and then Batman drives on. Um, Green Lantern shows up. And he apparently has a, a history with uh, Bueno Excelente, who had apparently slipped him a roofie once before. <laughs> These names are killing me, man. Oh, it's I have actually named one of my fantasy football teams Bueno Excelente. It's, yeah, it's a fantastic name. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have the, uh, the wiki up on these guys because they are outstanding. Um, bueno Excelente, an obese, sweaty, and bald Latino in an overcoat who <laughs> defeats evil with the power of perversion. Oh my gosh. Six pack team leader whose special ability is grotesque drunkenness and beating <laughs> villains with a broken off liquor bottle. <laughs> Defenestrator, a large burly man in a denim jacket, black sunglasses with black hair, who obsessively carries around a window through which he forcibly throws criminals 
and occasionally unlucky policemen, which I don't know if you're familiar with the term defenestration, yes. which is to throw someone out of an open window. Dog welder, a thin, silent man in a welder's mask who spot welds dead canines to evildoers. <laughs> Friendly Fire, a large hapless man in a red cowl. Friendly Fire would easily be the most powerful of Section 8's heroes if he were to shoot anything other than allies with the potent bolts of, bolts of energy he fires from his hands. So basically, he takes out his own team most of the time. My personal favorite, Jean de Baton Baton, a bizarrely gaunt walking French caricature who defeats enemies with the power of Frenchness as expressed by savage beatings with a baguette. Um, Flem Gem, a sickly thin bald man in a green suit and purple domino mask, who has the ability to produce and expel large volumes of phlegm, which can blind, suffocate, or simply disgust evildoers. And then finally, Shakes, a thin, hairy vagrant who upsets people through stutters and an overall shaking palsy. And, and I like how Martian Manhunter signs up for this group. Yeah. Yeah. No. And um, like I said, he uh, he was all for it until he walked in on Bueno and Guts in the bathroom and uh, flew out screaming. And there, there's one splash page in here where they show uh, the JLA up on their satellite and they're all talking about Section 8, just about, you know, what a bunch of degenerates they are. And it, it's just. It's a fun read. Like I said, but some of the situations, if, if you're a little more to the, to, to the right side of things, the situations are going to seem a little over the top or a little too far. If you're further to the other side, you know, it, things are implied, but not shown. With, like in the, in the issues of the boys, you know, they will show intercourse and things like that. Here, it's just implied. And especially with Bueno, you know, it's, yeah, he, he apparently is... Uh, you know, takes it to another level. Jeez. So, say so it's a fun read, and, and um, Wonder Woman makes an appearance. Um, she accidentally gets smacked in the head and like loses her memory temporarily, so she will, you know, temporarily join the team. That's during the whole uh, Bueno guts wedding scene, and so she gets smacked in the head again. Once Six Pack has kind of a guilty conscience of like, you know, this isn't right. Like she doesn't really want to be here. And so they smack her in the head again, and she's like, this never happened. And then she, like, walks out of the bar. You said a lot of interesting words while describing that. <laughs> yeah. No, I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of the tick. Um, you know, so just seeing the different, you know, the, the, the open casting call for new members. You know, you, you get, you know, Darren, the rake. You know, <laughs> like, they're, they're superheroes because they're wearing a costume. But do they have any real, real powers? Right. You know, so it was a fun read. Um, like I said, it went by really quick. So although mine wasn't as big as Phil, it's less intimidating and therefore might be open to more people. <laughs> oh boy. So that is my review of All-Star Section 8 by DC Comics. Thank you, Gary. That was really, really fun. I, uh, I certainly have heard of All-Star Section 8 and now I feel like I am... Much more curious. <laughs> Likewise, let me get something I'm going to try to grab. You're going to you're going to grab that. I'm going to grab Gary's. Yeah, his yeah. Gary's uh, recommendation. Yeah. I have them all. If you'd like to borrow. 
to go visit Gary and grab that. Yeah, Gary. Uh, I, I mean, I, I get invincible, but Gary seems to have a little bit more meat to it. Um, so I, I think uh, it might be I something I'm looking for. Is girth, Darren? I, I disagree. I mean, <laughs> Phil's was long, uh, like 140 issues long. Long and and I would say it probably left us all very satisfied. I don't understand why we wouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I guess different strokes for different folks, right? Oh, man. I think I need to pull the ripcord on this one. All right. So <laughs> thank you so much, Carrie. That is awesome. I uh, I I've been I've been wanting to read the boys. Um, and I I'm always interested to see what people do after like large things. Like that, I can't. I hate you all. I hate you all so much. Oh, uh, walked into it anyway. Oh, man. all right. And then we're laughing about everything. The alarm huh? bells, the alarm lights were all going off, and he, yeah, he just walked I right tried. through the door anyway. Yeah, I just let it happen. Okay, so um, <laughs> next month we have a few things going on. We will do our while we were away at the top and talk about some of the comic news and things that are occurring, a bunch of mystery things, and I am going to attempt next month for a retro review to read the complete Onslaught epic. Oh, jeez. That is like a thousand pages of me being feeling miserable about myself at the end. Uh, hopefully not. I, yeah. Uh... It's really well-reviewed, and I remember it not being good. Uh, I wonder if it's like the you know the wheel of time is cycling back around and you know it wasn't as bad as we thought. I don't. I don't know. There I don't was know. a lot of buildup for that, and it just <clears throat> at the end. It, it was not. I don't know. Regardless, I. I mean, it's the '90s X Men, so it's either going to be really good or really terrible. Mixed in with you know also reading Fantastic Four, Cable, Incredible Hulk, some Spider Man's thrown in, the Green Goblins comic that was going in at the time. There's a lot going on, um, but I bought them all, so I'm going to read them because I hate myself. Obviously, uh, thank God they were on sale, so that will be my retro. Anything else, gentlemen? Yeah, uh, I uh, will have some ridiculous comic book trivia. Uh, and, uh, I am pretty sure this is going to be either Batman 89 related or Superman 78 related, given that, uh, we will be a few short weeks away from those two titles debuting. Um, right now in the industry, it seems like those are the two most anticipated that are coming out. I think there's a lot of curiosity surrounding them. So I think it'll be a good time to, uh, dive back into one of the two of those. Okay. Oh, and there is a small potential that we might actually see each other in person. So our sound quality may be a little bit different next month. That'd be nice. Wear pants. Yes. Yeah, buddy, Matt, you, will... you have to wear pants next time, buddy. Your willy will have to stay in your pants. You all get. You gave us a good show there earlier when your mouse went crazy. So, <laughs> uh, man, that can be taken on multiple levels. Anyhow, yeah, you, you um, already you already hit the home run with that one, pal. I know. Remember, everybody, as always, if you want to follow us, you can do so on Instagram or most social media at Panel Scanners. If you feel up to it, why don't you pop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review? That always makes us look a little bit better and gets more people to listen. But until next month, hopefully you will be here and enjoy your comments.